teach us and instruct us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, now some of the things that I've been talking to you about here has to do with the book of Ephesians. I probably will be uh, January before I start Daniel, but once we start into Daniel, we're going to probably be there for an extended period of time. That's not, uh, you, can't, you can't go through that book uh, without, um, after you get past the first three chapters or so, after that it starts running pretty deep and you've you got to cover uh, almost every single verse. And it ties in with uh, Revelation and ties in with Genesis and a multitude of other places. And a lot of it is current prophetic events that are going to happen eventually. Some of it is historical, but in order for you to get it and put it in the proper perspective, there's no way to do it except just tediously picking the verses apart a little bit of time, you know, a little bit at a time, like getting the, you know, the chicken or the turkey off the bone when you get finished eating. So I want to finish this thing with uh, standing because he recognizes in the last days, the Bible says that there'll be, many will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and many will depart from the faith. And then he tells you in another place over there that a time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine, but heap to themselves teachers having itching ears after their own lust, and then uh, being turned away from the truth and unto fables. So you're living in a day and time where you're going to notice or recognize, if you're smart about it, that that can apply to you if you're not careful. Don't ever put yourself in a position as a Bible believer that just because you know the Bible that you can't be given the heed to seducing spirits and that you can't be turned away from the truth and be turned unto fables. Uh, a preacher said one time, he said, you know, uh, all good doctrine is not good preaching. And when we're talking about from an entertainment standpoint, that may be true, but the best preaching is doctrinal in foundation. And the reason is, is it sets a parameter. It sets a, 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 a distance or it should put a distance between you and being drawn away. Now, the reason that I try to teach you this stuff is, is to prepare you, not because I'm accusing you that this is happening to you, but to make you aware that it can happen to you if you're not cautious. You have to pay attention to what it is that you're doing. And from a biblical perspective, he's writing that to save people. In Galatians chapter number six over there, or Galatians chapter five there, he said, who did hinder you? Meaning from running the race, from doing what God would have you to do. Along the way, the devil has recognized, he understands eternal security better than uh, most of us do, and he believes it more than most of us do. He knows he can't take your soul. So all he wants to do now is, is he wants to take away your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and if he can take your testimony, he'll take it in a heartbeat. He would rather ruin a Christian's testimony than he would to take an unsaved person to hell. He can do a lot more damage by ruining your testimony than he can do with damage for a lost person. People get the mistaken idea that the devil's hanging out in the honky-tonks and the bars and in the bad places and so on and so forth. The devil's in the church. He's not worried about them. They're already coming to see him. What he wants to do is mess you up. Now the Bible says in Ephesians 6, the passage where we're at now, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness in high places. In Ephesians chapter number 4, he warns you and he tells you uh, that you don't let the sun go down upon your wrath because we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. And then he tells you again in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 2 there, when he comes down that passage about forgiveness, 
forgiveness and the unforgiving. He said to forgive one another. And the reason you forgive one another, you're not ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil is your enemy. I know you think it's people. And I know you think it's compromise. I know you think it's all the things. It's the devil using whatever he can use to mess up your testimony to get you out of fellowship with the Lord. I've used this before, but it's, a, it's just a good illustration uh, about the vacuum cleaner, but plugging the vacuum cleaner in. And I used the illustration not long ago because it was brought to my attention. I thought we were doing good because, listen, it's much more convenient to use a lithium battery powdered uh, thing, and it's a lot lighter, and it's easier mobility and stuff like that, and it, and it makes the little... Uh, marks in the rug so it looks like you vacuumed it but what I didn't realize is it doesn't have the suction power as one that plugs in and so actually the dirt is just underneath the bottom it ain't pulling it out and so then the next thing you know you get the little clear thing and it shows a bunch of fur balls in there or fuzz balls at least we have that at our house you may not have it yours you probably eat off your floors but our house we actually get a little dirty in there and every now and then and you got this little thing you think oh well, I've really cleaned the floor and then you go get a regular vacuum cleaner and you plug it in the wall and the bag is slammed full of stuff. I mean, I even got somebody gave us one of these little things that are they're round and they run around on a computer. Um, not a dog. It yeah, that, whatever that is, a robo thing. And it goes around and bumps into this and that and the other. And you're thinking, that's pretty good, man. You don't even have to push the vacuum cleaner around. Well, I hate to tell you those, that little tiny beater bar. I mean, it makes marks on the floor and stuff like that, but it doesn't pick up the trash. What I needed is high-powered suction. You say, what is it? It's more inconvenient. It's heavier. It's not as it's more cumbersome. It's more difficult to use. And it makes it difficult because the second that you get just a little ways from the wall, the stinking plug comes out of the wall. And you have to get the plug, and then you have to go put it in another place. It requires more effort, but it keeps the rugs clean. And what I've realized in my relationship with the Lord is, is that when things, a lithium battery can't replace the plug-in. And there's all of those little silly nuances that take place and you're thinking, oh, well, it's okay. No, you're just getting the surface of the problem. As a man thinketh in his what? So is he. Out of the abundance of the the mouth speaketh. So I've got to be a caution where I've got to, I got to get down deep to get that dirt. I'm pretty good on the outside. Um, you give me, a, give me a, a, a washcloth and a little bar of soap, I can clean up okay on the outside. But that doesn't take care of the stuff on the inside. What does it mean? It means I've got to stay close to the plug. Now, if you don't do that, the next thing you know, you'll spend all your time watching everything and everybody else. One of the greatest indicators that your plug's out of the wall is, is you're more worried about what everybody else is doing than what you and, your and the Lord are doing. Your plug's out of the wall. And you know what you need to do? You need to move back closer to the wall. So while I already got that, you need to get plugged back in. And so if you'll learn that, and that's why I'm trying to give you the warning. The warning is to Christians. And the warning is to preachers. And the warning is to pastors. And the warning is to Sunday school teachers. And the warning is to people that are coming to church, every, like you. You come to Sunday school. You come Sunday morning. You come Sunday night. You come Wednesday night. You come to special meeting and stuff. The warning's to you. Because what can happen is you get to running off that battery power juice. You think, I'm doing pretty good. I'm still moving around. Next thing you know, you're wondering, what's the problem? And then so-and-so said, and so-and-so did, and such-and-such and such happened. The next thing you know, I'm done. I'm through. I'm out. I quit. I give up. Me and the Lord are just not close like we used to be. I don't know what in the world's going on. Your plug's out of the wall. 
So the stuff I'm giving you here is not to be taken in the sense of I'm getting on to you. Uh, people are real sensitive about that stuff nowadays. I'm not getting on to you. I'm giving you a warning. I told you about the fellow that was ready to drive off the bridge and I was ready to do that. And he got upset at my tone of my voice because I'm trying to keep him from driving off the bridge. I'm just trying to keep you from driving off the bridge and breaking your fool neck spiritually. You, 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 I don't know. I, don't, I think some of you think I must have like a list of names up here and I'm checking it twice and finding out who's not here nice or something. And it's like, well, why, why do you have to say that to me? I'm not, how do you, why, why would you think I'm saying it to you? Why do you think the Lord's saying that to you? So when I give you these things, it's a, it's a checklist. It's just to find out how you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good time to be selfish. How's your relationship with the Lord? Not how's everybody else's relationship with the Lord. And so when he comes down here and gives you that, and he gives you those instructions, he tells you there's certain things that you ought to be doing. Now the thing that we left off was about the Word of God. That has to do with uh, don't give up what you read and what you hold on to. That's the Bible. Now you're back in a resurgence. Come again over to Hebrews 4. You'll know this passage already. We covered these the other day. I'm going through them again real quick. There's a resurgence now of uh, doubting the, the Bible as your authority. The problem is not about scholastics. It's not about education. It's not about scholarship. The problem, ladies and gentlemen, is authority. The problem is and has always been, even with the scholars, it has nothing to do whatsoever with, uh, with the scholarship or with them being able to say Alpha and Delta, the Greek manuscript said this, and in the Hebrew Masoretic text it says this, and the trilateral root word of that and the anti-P note is placed here in order for it to be able to say that, and to change the tense of the verb of that thing and change it from a noun to a verb, because we know that in Hebrew and Greek and all that, now most of you probably didn't understand anything I said. That's a little bit that I remember from school when I was in there. You say, what did it do? Uh, makes you think I know something I don't know anything about. I just used a bunch of nomenclature just like I could wind up using a lot of medical terms make you think I was a doctor just because I used them. Doesn't mean you know anything, you just know the terms. What the issue with those individuals is, is they don't like to be told what to do. The issue is authority. It always has been authority. Yea, hath God said. That started in Genesis 3, and it'll run all the way through, out past the tribulation, in through the millennium, and it will not be forever settled in heaven until after the great white throne judgment. And then after that, it'll be the accepted authority across the board. Our problem is authority. Now what they do is they cover it up and they make it look nice by making you think, I, I'm, I have to be very smart. Uh, my pastor uh, has a PhD in Greek and, and, and uh, manuscript evidence and he happens to know this and that and the other. Anybody that changes, I don't care how many letters are behind their name, anybody that changes what God said is demonic. You have to recognize that. I'm just calling it like it is. That's the absolute authority. Well, I don't understand it. You know what? If you could understand it, it would mean you're as smart as the guy that wrote it. I like I don't understand it. I understand enough of it to be afraid of it. And I get comfort out of it. I'll show you that in a little while. But ladies and gentlemen, the whoever wrote that book is smarter than I am. I'm not getting up there and saying, well, didn't you really mean to say this? Hey, boys, let me ask you a question in your, in your uh, relationship there with your wife. How's that work out with you when all of a sudden she says one thing? You say, honey, didn't you really mean to say? No. Come on, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, I said what I meant to say. And now all of a sudden you're in an argument over what a word means. Yeah. That sounds like people arguing over what the book says. Yeah. 
Don't worry about the things you don't know or understand in the book. Worry about the things you understand in the book. That's the way that you get more wisdom on it. You know, the great thing about this book is, is that the more you read it, the less you know. Really, the more you read it, the more you think, I, I got it now. I got it. I got it. I, I, I got it, boy. And you read through the thing and you're like, where did that come from? It's always been there, but how, how, what is it that kept you from seeing it? And then all of a sudden the Lord turns a light on and you see it. How did you not see it the first time? That book is a spiritual book, but that book has to do with authority. And if you come to that book and won't submit yourself to the authority, the Lord cuts off your revelation of it. You'll have a certain amount educationally that you'll know and you'll always know. But the Lord Paul says this in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says they proceed no further. The Lord turns off the light, wants you to say, I don't know, is that what God really said? You know when God's speaking to you. Can I say this to you? Every time God speaks to you, it's not always a rebuke. But if you want to make the Bible to make sense, you have to realize that the Bible teaches you here in Hebrews chapter number 4, that book first and foremost is a critical book. It's not made, ladies and gentlemen, to go along with human nature. You have to recognize, and I'll give you this in the message this morning, but when you go out, you go out according to the Bible, you go out east to west if you're going in the right direction. You say, why? That's the direction that the sun goes. You know how the world turns? Unless you're a flat earther, I don't, it don't turn anywhere, it just hangs. <laughs> but, it, but, you know, that, never mind. That's, that's just something, somebody that doesn't know anything trying to look like they know something and there's not enough information for you to be able to refute their argument and so now they all of a sudden think because you can't refute their argument, I got the Bible, he sits on the circle of the earth, we're done. Well, it's a plate, okay, we're done, you win, see you later, have a nice day. Really encouraged me, helped me out in my everyday life. That Bible is, teaches about it being a sphere or a circle. Now here's the thing that you want to grab a hold of is the world turns from west to east. The sun turns from east to west. The world is contrary. You're messing with a type. He killed Moses for that. Better be careful there, flat earther. You're messing with a type. That world turns opposite of the sun. That's why when you start looking in the Bible, you'll find out that everybody that is successful, they go out from east to west. The Magi, the three kings from Orient Arn, smoking a rubber cigar, that kind of thing. Those, those three kings that are coming out there, the three Magi, they're called wise men. That's what they're called. They come from the east. They're going west. Every time you see a negative connotation, you find out they're going from west to east. That's why you want to be careful about the stuff coming from the west coast coming to the east coast. A lot of the modern charismatic, schismatic stuff that's coming from the west and movement moving this direction. You say, what is it? It's, it's running the way of the world. You have to let it run the opposite of the world. Now, some of you have a hard time with that. Christianity is supposed to be opposite of the world. If you're going to rightly divide the Bible, you have to recognize that you're not going to get along with everybody. Jesus Christ was hung on a cross, but it wasn't for being anti-governmental. It was beginning against the religious system of that day. It was his own people that hung him up there. It was not an anti-governmental slant that he went into, and he came against the government. Fellow comes up to him and says, Hey, you see that coin right there? Are you, are you for Caesar or not for Caesar? He said, You got a coin on your pocket? Guy flips it to him, he picks it up, and he says, You see that right there? He said, Yeah. He said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. Have a nice day. 
Pete, you know, uh, what you doing? Y'all, you your guys pay taxes? Peter, go down there on the beach. You'll find a fish down there with the coins in his mouth and get the money and pay the taxes. That the word of God be not blasphemed, sovereign citizen. That the word of God be not blasphemed. So Jesus paid taxes. He didn't go sign up because he was in the priesthood and, and choose to opt out of paying taxes. That's your responsibility. You say what? That's what pays for your roads and your street lighting and for your sewer and your plumbing and for your protection and that kind of thing. Do your part. Pay your taxes. Amen. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not worried about you. You'll pay your taxes before you'll pay a tithe. I know that. Because <laughs> you're worried about them putting you in jail. You're not worried about putting the plug out of the wall. You know what I know about those three wise men? They were wise enough that when they were coming to see the king, you know what I know about them? <laughs> they were wise enough to bring something with them when they came. People get this idea that, you know, all the stuff that gets done around here, you know, well, that's just the, what, we, what we owe the people. You can't go to a movie or a restaurant and get them to give you that for free. You come to church, expect it all for free. Child care and the whole nine yards. Flushing toilets, air conditioning, lumbar supported seats, carpet on the floor. Don't you expect it? A preacher to preach to you, people to entertain you. <laughs> if you were in business, you couldn't stay in business very long that way. See how the book criticizes you? You know what that book says? That book says you don't have to tithe. Yeah, it does. It says you just give as God's prospered you. I guess he must not have prospered some of you. I guess. I don't know. I'd have to ask Brad. He wouldn't tell me. I would probably have to pull his fingernails out to get him to tell me. He protects y'all. But I, I, I guess as God's prospered you, I don't know. What's your breath worth? What's your eyesight worth? I told Brother Ernie this morning, he came back and welcomed me and preacher, good to have you, been praying for you and, and so on and so forth. And I said, I've learned one thing while I was gone. And he said, what's that? I said, getting old ain't for sissies. <laughs> I mean, I, good night, man. I mean, you know, the old Brother Tyrrell used to say, if it ain't, he said, preacher, I'm hurting here and I'm hurting there. And I said, well, that's bad. He said, no, it's good. I said, what do you mean it's good? He said, if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. <laughs> But you know what I realize? There's a lot of things I've got to be grateful for. Amen. I can still taste food. Yeah. I've tasted a lot over in the last couple of weeks too, man. That's one of the greatest enjoyments in life to be able to taste food. Some of you, when the COVID thing came through, you got that. They said it tasted like cardboard or gravel or whatever. I, didn't, I, guess, I don't guess I got it. I don't know if I got it or not. I didn't have that symptom if I did get it. But I don't know what that'd be like if everything you ate tasted like cardboard. I guess it'd be a good weight loss program or something. But... Man, what a drag. You can't taste food. I mean, what a drag. You got to have a, a, a be fed by a, a stomach uh, infusion and, and you don't even get to taste the food. I mean, I like the taste of coffee. Imagine it all just tastes like water. What a drag, man. I had an ice cream thing and they put chocolate sauce stuff on that thing and put some candied pecans and all that stuff in there. And I can distinctly pick out the flavor profile in every one of those things. <laughs> but I'm sitting there eating, man, and I got all puddled up in tears. And I thought, man, Lord, I, I sure have taken my taste buds for granted. And that old preacher telling me I have to have it real hot or real cold. And I said, why is that preacher? And he said, man, I made the biggest mistake. He said, when I was a kid before I was saved, he said, I burned out my taste buds. 
Ever thank God for your taste buds? I mean, don't you have a few things to be grateful for? Well, I don't want to change the message I'm talking about being, the Bible being critical. The second thing you find in Hebrews 4.12 is he said, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if you don't rightly divide the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to run into some serious problems. And not hyper-divide. Somebody gave me a book by Cornelius Stam the other day. He's a hyper-dispensationalist. You say, what'd you do? I thumbed it and threw it in the trash. If you read, I've read it before. I've read it all before. It's just a regurgitation of what he's been teaching a long, long time ago. He's whacked out and he's messed up because he hyper-divides the Bible. And he puts the divisions in the wrong places. But if you don't rightly divide the Bible, you're going to run off into trouble. Amen. For instance, in the Old Testament, this is just the usual illustration. In the Old Testament, what you find is, you find him talking about you can't eat anything that doesn't have fins and scales. Well, for us being down here in Florida, that can be a bad deal. That means you can't have catfish and you can't have shrimp and you can't have lobster. I ate a lobster while I was gone. It was a good one too, man. It was like poached in butter. Son. <laughs> I'm like, I can make a habit of this, man. But then by the time you're done, a little bit of it, that goes a long way. But man, I mean, you talk about sweet and tender and soaked in that uh, butter and things like that. Well, I'm going to hell. <laughs> Leviticus 11 tells me I can't have that. If I do, God has to take me to hell for it. Dietary laws. But then I come to 1 Timothy 4. Amen. Every creature of God is, uh, to, uh, is good if it be received with prayer and thanksgiving. That's 11, 4, that's 4, 11, 12, right along in there somewhere. Chapter, I can see it. It's on the left-hand side there. But at any rate, here's what he says. Now, that's a contradiction. Unless you rightly divide. I'm not a Jew in the Old Testament. I, I've gotten where now I can eat uh, bacon and ham without nitrates. I learned that from Miss Sandy. Miss Sandy warned me and warned me when we were on a canoeing trip one time and she warned me not to have the gravy and I said, it won't be enough. She said, preacher, it's got the, the, the pig in it, it's got the uh, pork in it. And I said, I'd be fine, no problem. Man, that stuff curled my toes, man. I got sick and high fevers and all that other. We found out later it's the nitrates in it. But if it doesn't have nitrates in it, I can eat it. But because I had some bacon on one of our meals up there, bacon wrapped... Uh, <laughs> You'd see what I did on my vacation. <laughs> I had a bacon wrap filet. <laughs> yeah, see, uh, see y'all are like, mm, yeah, yeah. That was on one side of the plate. The lobster was on the other. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. And I cut into that thing and I ate that. But in the Old Testament, I'd go to hell because I ate pork. Not supposed to do that, unless I get First Timothy 4. Now, here's the point I'm making to you. You're not under that law anymore, but if you don't rightly divide the Bible, you can get yourself twisted up like nobody's business. You'd be like a kite out there just spinning around and spinning around and spinning around. Whenever it comes to rightly dividing the Bible, you want to make sure you understand that. And we have a lady right now that I'm trying to help out. She can't get out of her mind that Acts 2.38 in there, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. That's in the Bible. It's Acts 2.38. But, it, but at any rate. <laughs> now, now listen, Paul doesn't say anything about that at all. Here's, they're talking about rightly dividing now, right? The Apostle Paul said, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But Paul did baptize. But you see the salvation plan is different. You're not saved by baptism. 
We baptized Bo here a couple of weeks ago and he understood clearly his salvation had already taken place and if he'd have died, he would have gone to heaven without baptism. Water doesn't save you. It gets you wet. It's a picture, a type in this age, but it did at one time. He tells John the Baptist, he tells him that John the Baptist is having a baptism there. And he said, who told you you could repent? And you better go back and bring meat fit for repentance. And when he baptized him there, it was to reveal the Messiah. Now they're able to see it. Baptism was connected with salvation, but not here anymore. Anymore, it's just a picture of what took place. If you don't rightly divide your Bible, you know what will happen? You'll be in the wrong church. Amen. You'll go to the wrong place and you'll go over there and you'll think sacraments save you. You'll think baptism, think, you'll think christening saved you. You'll think baptism saved you. You'll think some kind of work saved you. No, we're not a work, lest any man should boast. How are we saved? By grace through faith. That's in this time period. You step into the tribulation period, you're headed back under an Old Testament system and keeping the law. These are they which kept the faith in Jesus Christ and kept the commandments. You don't have to keep the commandments to be saved. I have a friend of mine right now who's in very, very poor health and stuff and I dealt with him just a, a week or so ago on the phone for about 45 minutes to help him to understand uh, because that since he got saved when he was a younger man, he'd done some things he shouldn't have done and uh, explaining to him and helping him to understand, hey man, you don't have to get re-saved. You've been out of fellowship with the Lord, but if you meant business, you're saved, but you're just out of fellowship. And when he got it, he put the plug back in the wall. You could feel this big sigh of relief. I mean, he's literally on, he's got one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. He'll be stepping out of here into glory before long. You know what he wanted to get settled? I got to make sure I get it right. I said, it's great that you checked up. That's what you want to do. You want to make sure. But ladies and gentlemen, if you don't get that right, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be miserable all the time because you're thinking I either am or I am not or I'm chosen or I'm not chosen. I was foreordained before the foundation of the world. I hope he picked me. I think he picked me. I guess he picked me. Well, if he really picked me, then I'd be in church and I'd read my Bible and I'd pray. But I didn't feel like doing it. So if I didn't feel like doing it, I really didn't do it. So I must not really be because if I really was, I really would want to. But I don't really want to. And I... Man, just shoot me. You can't get any peace if you're honest. If you're honest. You can't get any peace, ladies and gentlemen, if you're relying on your righteousness to get you to heaven. There is no way you'll ever have any, but you can't put your head on the pillow, not, not, not every night of the week, put your head on the pillow and go, oh Lord, I know I'm good, man. If I die tonight, take my soul to heaven. Boy, I lived right today. And the Lord said, boast not thyself of tomorrow there, big boy. Mighty proud. Amen. See, there's a lot of stuff there, the sins of the Spirit that are in there that we don't make a whole lot of big deal about, but it's there. Right. Now, when it comes to the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, you don't change what you read because you don't understand it. What it should do is it ought to move you nearly to tears, nearly to gratitude beyond words by simply recognizing that you're saved by grace through faith. It is a free gift. You are the epitome of a charity case. Amen. He gave it to you and he kept it. And then gave you your life back. That ought, you ought to just be like, I mean, why would he even do that? Why would you get to be born now? I had a discussion with a friend of mine not long ago. And he said, you ever think about what would happen if the Jews had have accepted him all the way out to gave him another chance in Acts 7 there, 225 days after the crucifixion. He said, have you ever paused to think about if they had accepted him, where we would have been? I said, would we have been? I don't know that we would have been. Maybe. But, but where would we have been? I mean, man, if the Jew hadn't rejected, you ever think God they rejected? Yes, sir. They didn't get the deal you got. 
And nowadays, you know what's hard for them? They can't accept the free gift. They got to earn it. They can't, they can't see it. My goodness, man. I mean, you talk about you better rightly divide. If you don't, you know what will happen? You're going to drive yourself crazy. You know what you'll do? You'll quit. You'll get frustrated. You'll get out of church and everything. Oh, what's the use? What's the point anyway? It's not going to really matter. You know what helps in the judgment seat of Christ? If you don't judge the judgment seat of Christ, nothing mentioned about the judgment seat of Christ until Paul comes along. In the Old Testament, it's the great white throne judgment. If you don't have about the judgment seat of Christ, you know what happens? You miss half the Bible for the New Testament Christian. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Their judgments at the great white throne and in Revelation chapter number 11, the great white throne comes down. They receive their rewards there as well as the people that get sent off into uh, hell and then eventually the lake of fire. That's what it, where it happens. And you have to recognize that. If you don't rightly divide your Bible, you know what you do? You just make it all one thing. For years, everybody taught that for years. They didn't teach the judgment seat of Christ. Even Baptist churches, they taught that the beam of seats, the same seat. When you read the passages in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, Romans chapter 14, you read the passages that have to do with the judgment seat of Christ. They always read great white throne into all that. Every bit of it. That's where you get the, the false teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 where the Holy Spirit gets taken out and then the Lord's done with everything. They don't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. They have to put some in the passage that's not there. But that's where it came from. It originated by not rightly dividing the Bible. That stuff that takes place in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, you've heard some stuff taught on here recently. That stuff that takes place there takes place after the rapture. That whole stuff right there takes place in the tribulation. It doesn't apply to you. You don't rightly divide your Bible. You know what will happen? You'll wind up being, pre, you'll wind up being mid or post-tribulation. Yes. Yes. You, you're an absolute fool to think the church is going to go through the tribulation. I didn't say you wouldn't have tribulation. Another word, trouble. But you're not going to be in the tribulation. You say, why? The Lord promised you to get you out. So many people trying so hard to put you in the tribulation. Why don't you just accept the fact God's going to haul you out of here? I mean, I hope he does. I don't know how bad it's going to get. I know this. The devil's not going to be on the throne. I'm not going to take the mark of the beast. I don't have to worry about all that stuff. But they're trying so hard to shove you into that stuff. And gas price goes up or gas price goes down or the pipeline blows up or doesn't blow up or Israel this or Israel that and all that. It doesn't mean you're in the tribulation. You're still here. When the rapture happens, that's when the tribulation starts. That's where that false teaching comes in. Now, whatever the uh, amount of time that you think that's going to be remaining there, you don't have to worry. You're not going to be here. Amen. When's it going to be? <laughs> I keep hoping. You know, I know some of you feel you got it stewed down to a fine point and you think you know exactly when it's going to be. I wish you'd tell me. If I thought it was going to be tomorrow, I'd be out on 295 passing out tracks. You say, why, man? I mean, get, get it in while you can. I mean, <laughs> maybe my motive wouldn't be good, but think about that. I mean, the Apostle Paul's over there in, what, Acts 14 or so, and they wind up stoning him, and then he's dead, and they draw his body out there, and his soul leaves. He goes up there in 2 Corinthians 12, and he said, I knew a man in the body, out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. And then he says the thing again, because when he got up there, he's in a bodily shape, and he said, man, look at that. And he can't see his finger, and he says, look at that. And Stephen says, hey, how you doing, preacher? Sure, it's good to see you, man. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And he goes to wave at him. He doesn't have a hand there, but he can see him. And he said, uh, whether in the body, out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. 
And then he comes back down. And you know what he does? You read Acts 14. You know what he does? He gets back in that body. He smells like a camel. He's been beat up, buddy, and, and, and killed. His body's dead. And he inhabits that body of broken bones and bruises and battered and cut up. You know what he does? He goes right back into the town. <laughs> you say, why? Do you know where he had just been? He's like, I'm going to make sure they punch my ticket and I get out of here for good. I mean, from that point forward, Paul becomes a suicidal maniac, man. He's not afraid to go anywhere. He's like, are you kidding me? If you saw what I saw and knew where we were going, you'd be wanting to get out of here too. Now, if you had that vision, that ability, and you could see that, it'd make you live a lot better life. You'd be a little bit more of a daredevil for Jesus. Amen. And we don't get that benefit. Paul doesn't even get to explain what all took place there. But the, the Apostle Paul's trying to teach you, tell you, that soul separates from your body. And the Old Testament, the soul went down. Paradise, Abraham's bosom. The New Testament, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul says in that passage there, he said, I was caught up to the third heaven and paradise was there. So they don't rightly divide. You know what they say? He says to the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me where? In where? Well, Paul says it's up in the third heaven. If you don't rightly divide, you know what you got? You got a thief going up there and he's up there in heaven and Paul going up there to catch him. No, he went down to Abraham's bosom. Ephesians 4, he's not he that ascended, descended first in the lower parts of the earth and led captivity captive and took him out three days later. See, if you don't rightly divide your Bible, you know what happens to you? You wind up a train wreck. And then you get into soul sleep. And then you get into all the other kind of stuff that's connected with that. If the soul that sinneth, it should die. You don't understand the circumcision. You say, what circumcision? The circumcision of your flesh from your soul. It's cut away. <laughs> Paul said, it's, Paul says, the Lord told him, it's a circumcision made without hands. Reckon what sword he used, what scalpel. Does he use a tin blade? What scalpel does he use? I'll tell you what he uses. It's right there in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God. Quick powerful, sharper than any two ever served, piercing even to the dividing asunder, the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, yes. discerner thoughts and tents of the heart, right? He uses the Bible to cut your soul away. That's why I'm, I'm giving you a message on eternal security right now. That's why that now that you mess up in your flesh, you, you can't mess up your soul. If you're saved, your soul is safe. You hear me? Now, I didn't say the Lord wouldn't paddle your behind, and I didn't say you won't lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and I didn't say that the things that you do in your flesh that you wouldn't pay for it here, and you might wind up going to prison or sit in the electric chair or get the needle or whatever it might be. I said your soul is safe. And if you don't make the right division, you know what will happen? You'll teach like some people not far from here. They teach you that if you're not living it, then you ain't. Well, then I ain't. You say, why? Because I don't live it all the time. I think I did pretty good. Then I get to reading. The next thing I know, I'm reading Isaiah 14. I will ascend and I will be like the Most High and I'll set my throne above this. And the Lord shows me my pride and stuff like that and says, are you living it, are you? <sighs> Lord, I must not be. See, you, you think because somebody doesn't have a cigarette in their hand or a can of beer in their hand or they're not running around with men or women or whatever it may be or not listening to rock and roll music, you think, man, that's kid stuff. That's wading pool stuff. That's stuff you can fall in there and drown in six inches of water. That's kid stuff. That evil speaking and that gossip and that envy and covetousness and whew, 
Boy, that's where the rubber meets the road. That pride and that, that self-security and that kind of a deal. Is this helping you? You say, what are you telling me? I'm telling you, I can't mess it up. It's not mine to mess up. David says over there in uh, Psalm 51, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Amen. When I'm saved, I'm put in a cocoon. He sealed me like uh, the old preacher used to use, like a cannon. Any of y'all know about cannon? Some of y'all do, I know. You know about cannon? You know, they take that glass jar and they get the beans in there or the peas or whatever, butter beans or whatever it's going to be. The friend of mine named Chuck used to do up in... Uh, up in North Carolina, he put deer meat in there after he put it in a pressure cooker. Then he would stick it in there. And then you put that lid on there and you boil that glass. And that glass boils. And as it boils, the steam comes up out of there and then it, it sucks that lid down on there. And then you just put the lid. Now, the lid doesn't hold it. That thing's sealed. That's why you take that lid off of that mason jar. Sometimes you got to get a can opener to break that seal. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the seal ain't broke on you until the day you die or the rapture happens. You can take that jar and you can set it up there in the basement and you can put it there and it can get dust on it and dirt on it and it can get messed up and all that. And then you rinse that thing off and pour out the beans and no matter how dirty the jar is, the beans still taste good. That's you. You're sealed. So, well, you're telling me that it's okay to sin. Careful now. I didn't say that. I said it won't affect your soul. But it'll affect your inheritance. It'll affect you. Every decision you make, every decision you make, held in light of the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will hold you accountable for it. And just do what I want to do. Help yourself. You can do it. It won't affect your salvation at all. Affect you the judgment seat. You're like a tree that's growing like this. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, if you'll just stay on that path, that straight path, that narrow path, if you just stay on that path right there, everything will work out okay. You'll come out of the right, like Jack and the Beanstalk, man. You'll come out of the right place. You'll be up there in the kingdom where you're supposed to be. Oh, well, Lord, I decided to go over here, okay? You know what happens to that branch? It goes over here. The only way back to the tree is to come back down that branch. You can't take that thing and bend it back over and connect it here. You know what you have to do? You've got to come back down that thing and get back down here where you went off the track. Amen. That's where a lot of Christians stop. Yes, sir. They won't ever go back come on. and say, Lord, I drove off over here for a while and I was wondering if maybe I could catch a connector around here to get back over here, to get back on the thing of my Bob, the Dumi Fletchie and this and that and the other. My GPS has gone out. But now the way I got it figured, if I can get here, all you're doing is keeping on going out here. And then before long, you know what the Lord says? Uh, you, you left me back there. Come back to where we got off track. But Lord, if I do that, you know what I got to say? I made a wrong turn. And you weren't the problem. Yes, sir. And the Lord said, yeah. What happened to the prodigal? If I remember the story correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, I know I'm in the midst of Bible scholars here. Didn't he come back to the house before he got restarted? Can I use this as an analogy? Didn't he come put the plug back in the wall? You know what most of you prodigals won't do? You won't go put the plug back in the wall. You'll look for an alternative source of power. And you'll stay longer in the far country than you need to. Because you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to be right, right back there. He ain't going nowhere. 
He's not going to, you know what he's going to do? He's going to wait on you to come back. You can't find where the prodigal's father ever left. Well, that'll be the end of things here this morning. We'll, we'll have to stop there. I've, I've got about eight more of these I want to try to show you. And uh, I, I hope you understand. If nothing else, some of you looked a little bit shocked when I told you about the beans. Um, but, but you're like a bean in a, in a mason jar. You can't get dirty. Man, if nothing else, you ought to thank the Lord for that. Yeah, so, well, I don't plan on sinning. Well, God bless your heart. You must be going to die before noon. Amen. Ananias and Sapphira didn't sin anymore either. <laughs> but they died before noon. I don't know that that's a choice I want to make. You know what I do? I, I err on the side of I probably am going to. Thank God for the blood. Yeah.